Anishutes, Chapter 4 I woke up seeing my room flooded with bright blue-white light. My laptop was open, and the keys slowly depressed as the letters W-H-A-T-U-N-A-M-E slowly spilled onto an open copy of Word. She was sitting on the edge of my nightstand, slowly pecking the phrase onto the keyboard. Her skin looked even more pale in the glow of the laptop screen. The world outside my covers had an icy bite that nipped my shoulders and cheekbones. Her nightgown had been replaced by a long brown tweed jacket with a fur collar and a long skirt. She turned and stared at me with sad brown eyes and gave me a half-crooked smile, one that seemed to reach back to a time when this apparition in my room was in fact just a girl and shy. How did you get in here? I asked. She smiled and shook her head slightly as if it was a silly question. She leaned in and typed again on the screen. Have you seen one before? I frowned. One what? I asked as I felt my blood begin to pound through my veins in a panic. I sat up and scooted away from her with my back against the wall. Tolten Volksen, she whispered. This time her voice was audible, but it sounded watery like it was coming from somewhere far away. What was she saying? The words both sounded so familiar. I felt the familiar grasping for meaning I'd experienced at the McDonald's off-post, or when we shared the gun range with a few German soldiers. Odd bits of German and Saving Private Ryan and old war movies swirled to find meaning in my head. I wanted it to be a dream. I'd always thought they'd be translucent, or float above the ground, or scream in your face with broken teeth as you woke from a nightmare. I dismissed the thought of them as I got older, except for the occasional odd October special on the Discovery Channel about a haunted house or a horror movie. It was impossible, but here she was in a locked room. That pale white luminescent skin, those sad eyes that were young, but old somehow too. Any last hope I had that this was just an elaborate prank was negated by the mausoleum chill that she radiated. What? I heard my voice quaver. What are you doing here? She frowned at me and leaned in, shaking her head almost maternally. She mouthed something at me. It's okay, I think is what she said. She glanced back at the laptop and hurriedly typed, I think you might need friend. I shook my head, what? She arched her brow at me and gave a tiny smirk. You don't think so? She typed. Terrified, I stared at the dead girl in my room. I shook my head, hoping she would disappear. I think I need a friend, she said in a strange, pained voice that sounded like it was coming from an old tape dubbed over too many times. We sat in my room, staring at each other in a stalemate. How long have you been here? I finally managed. Not sure what to say. 1944, she typed. In my room? She shook her head and made circles around herself with her finger, indicating around in general, I think. I nodded and studied her again. If it was true, she was old enough to be my great-grandmother, but her smooth white skin and petite frame didn't look old enough to drink a beer stateside. She pointed at the computer screen at something she had already typed. What you name... I pointed at myself for some reason, stupidly, as if someone else might be there. Me? She nodded. Ollie, I croaked. Ollie? I nodded. My real name was Jeff, but everyone in the army called me Ollie, shortening my last name Oliver. Then I pointed at her and cocked my head questioningly, apparently thinking that if she was mute, I had to be too for some reason. I was still sleepy and half hoped that this would all be just one awkward dream when I woke. She frowned for a second in confusion then nodded. She stuck out a thin white index finger and pecked A-N-N-A-S-C-H-U-T-Z onto the screen. 
Anna Schutz, I read aloud. I thought maybe you were the Russian girl that lives in the barracks. She shook her head and typed, slut, looking a little offended. Sorry. She gave a patient smile. Why do you type? I asked, cocking my head at the computer. She shrugged, then typed. It's hard to talk for long. What about last night? I asked. When I scared or upset, then I can do it for little, she typed. Sometimes German is easier. Why were you scared? Her eyes became distant, and she shook her head, turning away from me to the computer. Why do you only have army things, she typed. I frowned, wondering why she was asking. No family or girlfriend pictures. I shot a glance around the dark room, almost wanting to prove her wrong, feeling suddenly exposed as I became more aware of my abnormality. I paused, wondering what to say, and also thinking about how she had asked about the lack of a girlfriend. I guess I've kind of put a lot of things away, I admitted. I realized how weird it was to have a confessional slash therapy session with a phantom, or a dream, or whatever was happening. My stomach turned and growled loudly. Hungry? She typed. I nodded sheepishly. I was always hungry in the army. Nothing I ate stuck to me. They say depressed people lose appetite, but I never did. I filled my face with everything from bratwurst to Oreos to salads, and everything in between, and yet my ribs still jutted from my torso. Hung... Do you eat? I asked. She shook her head. I'm sorry, I said, feeling bad about asking. She leaned over and began to peck the keys again with a slightly shaky index finger. I always wondered how Chinese food tastes. Most of the barracks lived on takeout food from the nameless Chinese-slash-Thai-slash-sushi places, or Geppetto's Pizza, both of which had somehow gained coveted access past the guards and barbed wire to a waiting demographic of young guys who hated cooking and who hated the chow hall food even more. You've never had Chinese food? Almost escaped my lips, but luckily I stopped myself. I thought again about how she had typed 1944 when it was probably long before Chinese food became a secondary staple of the German people and the rest of the world. I guess it tastes like rice and salt and sweet, I offered, depending on what you get. You want to go to the mini with me, I asked, wondering if maybe going on a walk would prove this whole thing was just a dream. We left the barracks, walking together over the dead, slick leaves of the soccer field. It was just her and I, completely enveloped in another skiff of horror movie fog. I wondered if other people who might be out that night could see her walking next to me as we broke through the occasional thin patch in the white vapor. Her skin shone with its own light in the dark, watery night. I wanted to reach out and trace my fingertips over the white skin of her cheeks and feel the softness of her hair. She was beautiful, but I didn't dare touch her. Instead, we just meandered, enjoying the heavy stillness of the night, two beings that didn't fit in anywhere. She was quiet as we walked. I marveled at how her face could be stoic and sad somehow at the same time. Prying questions about what exactly she was doing here, and if it was real, and lots of other thoughts swirled in my sleepy brain. But for the moment, it was nice just to be next to her. My feet made a wet crushing on the leaves while hers moved over them without a sound. We neared the main drag through posts, and I could see the very distant plasma-like glow of the fog-shrouded lights at the mini-mart. How old are you, Anna? I asked. She shrugged. How old were you when... I couldn't think to put it delicately. She nodded in understanding, then raised two fingers at me, then curled them into a fist, then extended a thumb as Germans do to make a one. Twenty-one? I asked. She nodded, then pointed at me, raising her eyebrows in question. 21, I lied. I was 19, 
that didn't want to be younger. She gave a skeptical smile, then turned and continued our walk as I kept stealing glances at her. What would it be like to be over half a century old, but forever twenty-one? I mused at the thought, but most people in the army were perpetually nineteen, so maybe she was in the right place. We stepped off the curb, and Anna's shoulder brushed very close to my own. She radiated cold air like a moving brick of ice, but it didn't bother me. I could see those long, delicate fingers tracing over the air just inches away from my own. I closed my eyes slightly, feeling the wet air breeze over my face, and slowly moved my swinging hand closer to her own in the fog. I felt a long, dormant impulse crackle through my synapses, a familiar tension like when a roller coaster reaches the top of a hill, teetering, nervous. I felt the back of my hand brush against the back of hers with a biting chill that took my breath away. My eyes opened in shock. She stopped and stared into my eyes, betraying a casual curiosity. The game was up, and I was about to turn away in shame when I felt the shocking bite of frost gripping my fingers. I looked down and saw her pale skin intertwined with mine in the fog. In spite of that horrible chill, the corner of my mouth curled into a grin. She returned an amused, knowing smile, and we walked across the street holding hands. The sliding doors of the post-mini-mart dinged and popped open. I love the mini, the fluorescent lights on all the time, oversized, overstuffed American everything, food, in quotation marks, frozen then shipped for thousands of miles so that kids from Texarkana and Duluth waiting to be loaded onto the razor's edge of the war on terror could eat ho-hos and Reese's peanut butter cups during their off hours. I wondered if the clerk would see Anna or just see me strangely gripping the air next to me. But I doubted it would matter, given some of the late-night antics that go on in a mini-mart. We wandered through the aisles in no particular hurry. Anna stopped to stare at the German gummy candy. The whole country was awash in corn syrup confections cut into the shapes of almost anything you could think of. She pointed at them and mouthed something at me. I shook my head and tried to read her lips. She stuck out her thumb and pinky and held it to her head as if talking on a phone, then pointed at my pocket. Mystified, I pulled out my cell phone and held it out to her. She started pressing the keys. Those were my favorite, she typed, and pointed again at the gummies. Should I get some? She nodded. But you can't eat them. She shrugged and mimed eating them, pointing at my mouth, as if to say, but you can. We bought them along with a jar of Nutella and buttery wafer cookies. I grabbed a plastic knife from the condiments near the hot dog rollers, and then we strolled out the door after paying. I felt a renewed sense of happiness when she loomed near enough for me to wrap my arm around her waist. We walked past the remains of the old airfield, and I yearned for this not to end, for it not to be another lonely dream. As we moved towards the woods, I wondered if she had been here when Messerschmitts and all the other aircraft intent on stopping American and British invaders had taken off from the now overgrown runways. I wasn't about to ask, though. The sadness she exuded seemed to imply there were a lot of things she probably didn't want to talk about. For now, she rested her head on my shoulder as we sat on the overhang where I'd first seen her. I wanted to die right there. No more formations, no more psychotic people, no more dull drone of aching emptiness in the morning, no more nights of wide-eyed sleepiness. Just melt away into the moment with her forever. What's it like to die? I heard myself ask. Her head popped up to look at me as her eyes widened. Her brow furrowed slightly and she frowned shaking her head almost like a mom scolding a child for playing with fire. She pointed at the gummies in the bag as if to change the subject and made a ripping motion, drawing her hands apart over the air. I tore the bag open, smelling the sharp sting of sugar and chemical fruit. I offered it to her. She shook her head, then pointed at me, 
and made that eating motion again. It seemed like the rudest thing in the world to eat something she probably had wanted thousands of times over the many years right in front of her. I shook my head. She smiled patiently and made the same eating motion. I finally conceded and ate one of the cold, leathery morsels. To my surprise, they were much better than the ones in America, which I had never liked. Then I noticed her watching me eat. Her eyes were wide, and she stared at my mouth. I could see the thin tip of her tongue pass barely between her lips. I stopped mid-chew and looked at her uncomfortably. Then she slowly gave a sheepish smile and looked down at her feet. I fished a gummy out of the pocket and set it on the overhang next to her, an offering to a ghost. We sat for a while, and then I felt my cell phone begin to shift in my pocket. Anna was fishing it out between pointer finger and thumb. I watched her type, Why you want to know about dying. I looked into her eyes and thought about telling her, about how all I thought about was self-slaughter most of the time, about how I used to wish I could find whatever magic key it would take to bring me back to life and be happy again. Maybe it was simply better to be all the way dead than in between. I should have told her, but instead I just shrugged and gave a dismissive shake of my head. Thanks for listening. I hope you had a good time. I welcome your feedback and your comments. If you're interested in joining our Facebook group, you can see it there above our email. We'll have the next chapter of Anna Shoots ready for you sometime early next week, and I hope you have a good day. Thanks.